listeners. Um, this month's episode is a recap on Pride Month this past June. We'll take a quick look at the history of LGBTQ plus rights, remembrances during this Pride Month, developments in the movement during the pandemic, and take a look ahead at the future of LGBTQ plus activism. Um, starting off with a brief history of LGBTQ plus rights and how Pride Month came to be, um, it eventually it had started with the Stonewall Riots, which are also known as the Stonewall Uprising, um, which took place on June 28th, 1969, and really came as a surprise to everyone in the area and the city. Um, the riot occurred when the police raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay club in New York City. Armed with a warrant, police officers entered the club, maltreated the patrons, arrested 13 people, and found bootleg alcohol, um, which is made, sold, or transported. Um, without registration. Residents and patrons were fed up with the constant social discrimination and police harassment and hung around the bar rather than spreading out, um, becoming increasingly agitated as the events unfolded and people were increasingly maltreated. This led to six days of unrest and violent clashes outside the bar. And though the Stonewall riots did not started, um, did not start the gay rights movement, it was a motivating force for LGBT activism and um, Pride Month is ultimately a remembrance um, of the Stonewall Riots. Um, Adit, would you like to start us off with U.S. national government recognition of Pride Month um, under the Obama administration? Okay. So, yeah, under the Obama administration, he officially recognized Pride Month and it says, in a quote, this year we celebrate LGBT Pride Month at a moment of great hope and progress, recognizing that more needs to be done. So this is obviously in keeping with just the general ideology of the Democratic Party. At that time, it was fairly progressive when he first came into office. And now, as times are changing, the LGBT, just the whole nature of advocacy and of acceptance and tolerance in the United States have changed a lot politically. And it's changed in the 2016 elections under President Trump, and now back under Democratic leadership, it has changed again. Yeah, um, looking at um, Donald Trump's presidency, he's been really inconsistent in recognizing Pride Month. Um, so he hadn't, he hasn't recognized it for his first two years in office, but he had recognized it in his third year. Biden does recognize Pride Month. He says, "quote that." Uh, we will not rest until full equality for LGBTQ plus Americans is finally achieved and codified into law. Um, and sorry, I have feedback. Um, Biden's administration is one of the most pro-LGBTQ plus administrations in history, as nearly 14% of his 1,500 appointees identify as being part of the LGBTQ community. Um, and yeah, his um, Biden's administration reversed Trump's policies that limited transgender health care protections, and also Biden uh, reversed Trump's ban on transgender people being able to serve in the military. So yeah, in addition, he executed an executive order to protect um, LGBTQ students, especially trans students, from discrimination and. He has made quite a lot of progress despite being president for only like half a year. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's doing pretty well. Yeah, I think we're seeing these um, advancements 
um, being made quite quickly, but um, I think it would be a good idea if we look, take a quick look back at discriminatory bills um, throughout U.S. history um, regarding employment, employment, sorry, housing, um, adoption, and education. So would someone want to elaborate on the don't ask, don't tell policy of 1993 under Bill Clinton? Yeah, Alexa, go ahead. So, under the Bill Clinton administration, he issued the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or the DADT policy. He issued this in 1993, and it represented a compromise on the ban of gay people enlisting in the military. And under the act, bisexual and LGBTQIA Americans could serve in the military as long as they kept it a secret. So the support of the DADT welcomed it as a more liberal policy because gay Americans can serve in the military. However, the military continued to discharge thousands of gays and lesbians from the service. So although the military did not exclude the LGBTQ community, they were at high risk of being subjected to extreme punishment by a court martial. And many psychiatrists said that homosexuality was a mental or behavioral disorder, especially prior to the world to the Second World War. Yeah, I think um, in the past um, there's been um, lots of maltreatment, but I think um, most people are under the perception that um, these issues are kind of lifting and that people are getting more accepting but really when we look at um, 2021 as a year for anti-LGBT legislation um, it's almost surpassed 2015 as the worst um, year in terms of anti-LGBT legislation in recent history um, so six years ago in 2015 15 anti-LGBT laws were placed into law and this year eight bills have been signed and 10 bills are waiting for governor's signature so would anyone like to elaborate on this? So about like Arkansas passing a bill to uh to like ban gender affirming care for transgender minors, mm-hmm. and so gender affirming is basically like health care that attends to transgender people's physical, mental, and social health needs and well being while respectfully affirming their gender identity. And um, I think there are like another two dozen states that are thinking about banning or restricting access to gender affirming care. And it's basically also a felony to provide puberty blockers or hormones or like trans minors. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like a lot of trans people are scared of this. But um, it also looks like it's that bill is going to pass in many other states. But um, there also have been like eight bills have been signed and 10 bills are waiting for governor's signature. And these are all like anti LGBT anti-trans bills, but 80 U.S. corporations have stood up and opposed these legislations, like Facebook, American Airlines, Uber, and Apple. But I guess we can get into it like performative activism later, but it's pretty interesting to hear about that. Yeah. I just wanted to, I just wanted to add that like, it's quite shocking that especially like in a year, I guess I kind of could see why this year has become like so um so many bills like that have been pushed because of how the world nowadays is really polarized and it's because of this many sides of people that just haven't been shown are just arising 
And now since more people are speaking out about it, more people who feel that same way are going to fight for whatever they think is right. And I feel like if you miss out, especially for um, trans youth who are trying to find themselves, and they still have to fight for something that they shouldn't even be fighting for because it's just basic human rights. Yeah. Colin? Uh, yeah. So... I just wanted to personally talk about, because this is a, especially when looking at anti-LGBTQ um, legislation and seeing how some people sort of, uh, some senators and some representatives um, and other people in any form of government um, that attempt to um, address them nationally, um, you uh, follow these traits of inconsistencies, especially when it comes to logic, uh, when it comes to that issue, not just in the beginning legislation of the bill, but especially defending it. Um, so, a good example of this, um, especially would be an interview that Ted Cruz, um, had one, I believe he had one in 60 Minutes and he had another one on the Colbert, uh, on Colbert's talk show, where he, the Colbert brought up, brought up the issue of how it is, by technicality, not illegal to discriminate against LGBTQ individuals, um, in, as a federal crime. And his personal argument was, I do not want um, a, a small minority of people within Washington dictating the rights of um, many other people. But one thing to clarify here is it's not a situation of dictation, it's a situation of liberation. It's saying for someone not to enforce their beliefs on someone is not a situation in which you are limiting someone else's beliefs. You're allowing someone's beliefs to be not limited. Um, uh, so especially in that scenario... And looking at that, um, and seeing the logical fallacies that, you, that come oftentimes with this, it's definitely a sad sight to see. Uh, but as long as you keep pointing that out, as long as you keep personally um, making sure, uh, making sure in those efforts to realize the inconsistencies of that, maybe more people can eventually realize the inconsistencies in the voting booth, and there can be something to make a difference. Yeah. I think there's also something to be said um, with the certain demographics that um, we see in um, government positions that are being held. I mean, we quickly touched on um, how Joe Biden's administration is one of the most um, diverse um, that we've seen so far. Um, and there is something, I guess, we can go into um, certain political victories. I mean, um, Pete. Buttigieg beca um, has become the, the first openly gay candidate in a U.S. presidential run, as well as the first openly gay cabinet um, nominee in America. So I think it is a step forward to see a more diverse range of candidates in, the, um, in, in government positions um, that can speak for um, uh, the LGBTQ um, plus demographic in the U.S. in particular. Um, does anyone have something to add? Um, in 1977, the New York Supreme Court rules tennis player um, and transgender woman, Renee Richards, uh, she was basically allowed to play at the U.S. Open as a woman. Um, and prior to this particular match, Richards had already entered the U.S. Open in 1953, back when it was recognized to be the U.S. Nationals. 
So um, we see multiple examples of this, especially recently now with the um, Olympics undergoing, um, with transgender athletes um, being refused entry into certain events because of um, hormones. Um, it's obviously a really polarizing issue. Does anyone want to elaborate? Well, uh, I just want to just say how that I find it interesting that like at the beginning, not really at the beginning, for me, like in my generation, like for me and my siblings, uh, sexuality was just always tolerated. It was just, it was something that we have always accepted. Mm-hmm. But maybe like in the beginning 2010s, gender identity was this was not a new thing, but it really became it really became part of the mainstream discourse surrounding like the LGBT community, and that became the polarizing topic. That became the point of controversy, and now. Um, Recently with the Olympics, it's always tricky when it's well, it's, just, it's something as new of an idea of into the mainstream as gender identity coming into this very established uh, traditional like sporting competition and how that ha- if it has a role in it or not, and then it's yeah. So I just it's just going to be very interesting to see how it actually plays out. We like we have to decide whether the system of the Olympics is outdated, whether you have to play as male or female, or is this not reasonable to have a trans uh, trans female playing as a male? So we have to decide which yeah which is which. Yeah, yeah. and um, I guess to go into more detail, um, women are against transgender women competing because of higher testosterone levels and this being seen as a biological advantage in um, athleticism and strength. Um, but really, what is the solution to this? I guess it's that's why it is so shocking to me that someone is refused um, to participate into an event for their biological characteristics, which they can't do anything about their biological makeup. It's really difficult for these um, really old and established institutions to um, revise certain um, rules put into place that don't really apply anymore, I guess, or that are beginning to erode in the face of um, certain developments happening today. Yeah, Maxine? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree, though, like, um, about the topic and how, um, just to comment on when people say that, like, it's an unfair advantage. Well, personally, um, sports in general is already unfair. So it's never been fair because, you know, the people who are, like, athletic are, like, you know, for example, basketball, you have to be tall. And then short people can't say, like, it's unfair, he's tall, he doesn't get to play, you know what I mean? Like, just 
to put that in perspective yeah but it's never been fair in the first place exactly yeah like i agree like for example in sports age groups gender divisions or weight classes if there's always a range it's not no two people are the same and although people's biological makeups may give them an advantage or a disadvantage in a certain sport if the margins are so shady between what's fair and what's unfair and i feel like i really empathize with the people who don't exactly have the right makeup for their sports but again it's so hard to find a clear-cut solution because it's like i don't know it's just unfair for them but it's the system Colin, you wanted to add something? This is a whole conversation that I sort of uh, had in my head a couple years back, and I just went through an absolute wormhole um, of just trying to figure out, like, how do people do that, and uh, uh, how do people do that in certain terms of getting people on a similar um, level of playing field. And one of the things I found out is that when it comes to especially people with... Um, a high amount of testosterone usually will take something to counteract that but there are situations in order to make sure that hormones uh, such as testosterone that would give any competitive advantage are suppressed in any way short shape or form um, in order to make sure that that playing field is level so that there's no no extreme sexual advantage um, whether it be in any form of transgenderism being advantage in that area um, in most sports organizations this is usually done two weeks in advance with tests uh, to make sure that everyone's at a level, decent playing field. So when it comes to that, um, it seems like if someone's taking all those accommodations, they should definitely be able to play and represent uh, represent their country or whoever they wish to represent. I also just want to like jump in and say, I'm like not super educated on this. topic but like is there any proof that testosterone takes away the advantage of like muscle mass sorry muscle mass strength like lean body mass muscle size or bone density like where's the proof of that you know and like i just want to point out i think this is like such an old and like convoluted argument but like let can we go back to how michael phelps like what maxine says like it's all based on like your biological the way you were born so it is, like, unfair. But the fact that, like, Michael Phelps is praised for, like, his, like, lesser lactic acid or whatever, and people are like, wow, like, his body was just, like, made for this sport. Like, does that, it just doesn't make sense in my mind. I just want to, like, point something out. I remember this, like, quote I heard from a while back of this woman called, like, Fabienne Peter. I'm probably botching her name, but she was part of, like, the Swiss ice hockey team. Um, but she was, like, the first trans woman in that team, and she, there's, like, this exact quote that she said, though, she was, like, she's so happy that she doesn't have to sit in the wrong dressing room with the wrong teammates anymore, so I just think that banning trans people from, like, the sport they are supposed to be in is just wrong. Uh... Further, I wanted to cite a source um, just to make sure that uh, there wasn't any misinformation being spread or anything like that. Uh, so there was a study from uh, ACLU 
in which one of their main doctors, Joshua Safer, um, <laughs> uh, great name for a doctor, by the way, um, he basically came to the conclusion saying a person's genetic makeup and internal and external reproductive anatomy are not useful indicators for athletic performance. Um, and resultantly, there is no inherent reason why at, oh, why a transgender athlete's physio- physiological characteristics related to athletic performance should be treated differently from physiological characteristics of a non-transgender woman. So resultantly, knowing that, and that we've been able to create some sort of um, uh, way in which we've been able to avoid unintended consequences of people not having a leveling playing field, and especially knowing that, knowing the science behind this and realizing that the level playing field is able to be minimized to the ultimate extent that it possibly can be, even becoming um, similar in its deviation to, as we were talking about, just a different shape or form and height that we would constantly see in sports. Um, uh, we can definitely see that, yeah, uh, transgender a- athletes in many ways, shapes, ways, shapes, or forms uh, should qualify for being able to compete in most sports, in, all, uh, in most sports situations, in all sports situations. Yeah, I think that's a good wrap on this section. Um, how about we go next um, and elaborate on public office positions and certain um, political victories that have happened um, here for um, members of the LGBTQ plus um, community. So Pete um, Buttigieg um, became the first openly gay candidate in a U.S. presidential run, as well as the first openly gay cabinet nominee in America and um, before both of these achievements, his first notable achievement within politics occurred nearly a decade ago when he was elected to come South Bend's mayor. And having been elected as mayor, he had already made history, becoming um, the youngest mayor in a city in the U.S. which had a population greater than 100,000 people. He came out in 2015, um, right before the Supreme Court's legalization of um, same-sex marriages, and admitted that quote. He was able. He was well introduced into adulthood before he was prepared to acknowledge that um, the simple fact that he is gay. And he continued saying that quote, "It took years of struggle and growth for him to recognize that it's just a fact of life, like having brown hair and a part of who he is." Um, he's. He believed it to be a pretty bold move on his part, as um, it was what he said to be a quote career death sentence. Does anyone want to um, elaborate? Yeah, I mean, nonetheless, like, even if he came out, he still managed to win 80% of the votes. And um, it seems to have been a pretty extraordinary victory for many. I mean, he comments that he believes, as quoted, it shows that in a workplace like Indiana, which is deeply con- um, conversive, uh, that people really are opening their, I'm guessing that was conservative, but that people really are opening their um Minds, which is really good to see and if we can see this happening in other states as well I think that society can be a lot more opening and a lot more welcome for those who don't identify um, or are gay or the whole LGBT community I should say. Colin? Yeah it's um, really a good <laughs> it's really a good perspective to have um, and just to put into perspective how um, underdog this victory was uh, I believe at the time that he was mayor of South Bend was also the time that Mike Pence was governor of Indiana uh, and he's, he was one of the main pushers of um, anti-LGBTQ legislation when he was, uh, when he served as vice president uh, under the Trump administration uh, so that in itself shows that he was able to 
only in the country of the United States, but especially in the world of these areas. Um, but nonetheless, it's a massive achievement. And someone like uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's definitely seen, uh, shown himself as a capable person um, for leadership, he was a Rhodes Scholar. Um, I believe he was magna cum laude in his college classes. Um, he's definitely seen, he uh, served in the military as well. He's definitely someone with the experience and capability that there would be no excuse uh, to not say that he's capable of being able to be a leader. Um, uh, he definitely is someone uh, that we're going to see in the next couple of years, I believe, um, is going to make a huge difference. And especially, you can see that in his um, policies as a politician. Uh, so, so I've had the floor for a bit too long. Uh, does anyone else want to chime in on his policies? Yeah, I think um, you were talking about his policies, and it's important to know his campaign generally seemed to target the issues of climate change, the healthcare system, immigration reforms, taxing the rich, and um, ending the frequent mass shootings occurring in the U.S. And as a part of the millennials, um, he mentioned that again, other members of his generation, he quote, had a different sense of urgency about fixing the country's problems. So definitely a super capable political candidate for us to um, keep watching the coming years. At it. Uh, I just want to say that um, like there's been a lot of controversy, just uh, a lot of people just attacking that, oh, um, the fact that Pete Buttigieg was the first uh, uh, openly gay cabinet member, oh, that, that's not really important. It has no significance. But I'd like to think that it actually does and that it's, doesn't only, it's not only people in power that can make that difference. For example, like people, just celebrities and LGBT celebrities, for example, like Ellen DeGeneres was one of the first uh, LGBT celebrities I was familiar with, and that actually helped me uh, just understand it more. And I was like in grade one, so I had no idea what a lesbian was. So like my brother had to explain to me, oh, Ellen DeGeneres is a lesbian, blah, blah, blah. And just like the simple fact that I watched her show every day and that just the, yeah, the simple fact that she likes women, it just made things more understandable and more digestible. And I think that's, it's very important to have people in power, people in, of cultural significance, yeah, uh, be of different backgrounds, have different lives and be able to represent, you know, the audience that they're, they're performing with or that they're serving. Yeah, I think you put that really nicely. And um, moving on to another similar example, in 2016, Aji Tang became the very first non-binary and transgender appointee in Taiwan, as well as the youngest individual to hold a ministerial um, position. And she began programming ever since she was a child at the age of 10, and um, this led her to be dubbed as a, quote, child prodigy. And by the age of 15, she was ready to start her very own company, um, dropping out of middle school to pursue her career in technology. And I do think that it's really... Um, significant the um, seeing um, governments become um, more diverse in the members that are involved um, with policies being made and passed and also um, gives people um, especially youth um, a more diverse group of people to look up to and to feel represented um, in their everyday lives so I think these advancements are really um, important and it's also 
important that these keep on um, happening in um, current years because yes, we've come a far away, I think, but um, obviously there's still a long way to go. Um, I want to, oh wait, sorry, I definitely agree with you and Adit about what you were saying about how we need like trans people and LGBT people in power that everyone can kind of look up to and I think, um, sorry, what's her name? During the pandemic, during COVID, because when, um, I'm forgetting his name. Sorry, stay with me for a second. I'll just say Wu. He had like a mask app that had like would pinpoint places where masks were available in Taiwan, which was really important because this was like early days coronavirus. Everyone's freaking out and like wanting to buy masks. So it was really important that people knew where to buy these masks since it, like no one really thought about that before. And after it was shut down because he was being fined by Google Maps. Um, Taiwan has been facing an issue concerning mass supplies and Howard Wu, a software engineer, put together a website that would pinpoint um, areas where masks were available, which was colored green, and places where they weren't, which was colored red. And it was just like a public website that a lot of people would go to to find masks, which was really important during the coronavirus, obviously. And However, unfortunately, his website was fined and then taken down. But after it was shut down, Tang set about to develop a plan that was efficient, as efficient as he was at because the public needed this website. And during a meeting with Taiwan's premier, she suggested that the government should distribute masks towards pharmacies affiliated with Taiwan's national health insurance system. And this would help track like the amount of masks that were available in the pharmacies and what was kept in stock and this proposal was approved and she developed her own website to provide clear data about mask availability which helped a lot with Taiwan's outbreak and I just think like this story is really important because a lot of people can look up to her and see that um, LGBT people make a difference in government and can help a lot of other people um, I think that um, when we're discussing Pride Month, it's also um, important to lay, to take a look back um, at remembrances, um, especially those for victims of hate crime. So probably starting off with the um, June 12, 2016 Orlando nightclub shooting. Um, Colin, do you want to introduce this? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I remember this occurred when it was quite um it was shocking for me to hear about just because i been i i had just moved back from living in florida at that time and being around that area so it's uh, as soon as i left the florida area it's something i remember this happening and being uh, just to put it in perspective um a man named Amorama team who was 29 years old shot 49 people at a gay nightclub uh, in orlando uh the gunman pledged his allegiance to isis um, and it was the deadliest mass, uh, mass shooting in the U.S. until the uh, Las Vegas shooting and the U.S.'s worst terror attack since 9-11 at that time. Uh, Mateen brought a rifle and a pistol into the club at 2 in the morning. 53 were wounded and 49 were killed. After three hours, while the people inside, inside called for help, the police arrived and killed Mateen. Uh, 
uh, President Obama's response to the um, you know, the occurrence uh, in his address to the nation was, "We know enough to say this was an act of terror and an act of hate." Adding this, adding, uh, this is an especially heartbreaking day for our friends who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. As Omar was investigated, his parents said they had gotten angry after seeing two men kiss, which is. Um, <laughs> that, that that's spe- that's special on its own. Um, it, just that you can be. It, it, I'm sure that all of us can look at that sentence in itself and see not only the immaturity of it, but also just the sheer stupidity that comes out of that uh, area. Um, so further, um, uh, there. Uh, most were not aware of his connections that he had to ISIS or even knew of him that the religious. Um, his former wife in 2009 stated that he would abuse her and she believed that he was bipolar, uh, bipolar although undiagnosed. Uh, she believed he was religious but didn't believe he played into the attack. Also adding she had a history with steroids, that he had a, a, that he had a history with steroids. Uh, Mateen worked at G4 Secure Solutions, one of the largest private security companies in the world. Uh, as a security guard, two weeks before the attack, apparently Mateen purchased a Glock pistol and a long gun. The club contained around 300 people over Saturday night and Sunday morning. Uh, so, would you like to trans- transition to how it happened, or would you like to go into the discussion about the events? Or further on remembrance? I think um, it's important to note how um, Pride Month has been used not only as um, advocating for the rights of members of the LGBTQ plus community, but how it's also been used as a day of obviously not just celebration, but also um, remembrance for those who have been discriminated against and obviously um, um, victims of disgusting hate crimes um, such as this one. I think um, another prominent example um, of such a hate crime is the death of Matthew Shepard in 1998, who was beaten by Aaron McKinley and Russell Henderson um, with a gun, and McKinley and Henderson had tied him to a fence in freezing conditions and set a fire to him and left him to die. Um, the men responsible for his death were given two life sentences but not charged with hate crime, um, and that wasn't possible yet under Wyoming's law. However, President Obama later signed the Matthew Shepard Act in 2009, um, and this act states that certain attacks um, motivated by victim identity um, as a hate crime. It surprised me that it's taken this long for um, events such as these to be charged with hate crime, um, and how that how this still isn't possible under certain um, state law. Um, 2009, I find that pretty recent personally. Um, and I guess it also just goes to show how um, there's still obviously a really long way to go um, in um, making sure that members of the LGBTQ plus community are um, feeling safe in where they live and that they're properly re- represented in um, the law. Does anyone want to add something? I think we can move on. The AIDS act was the Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, and it damages your immune system. It could be acquired from unprotected sex with people with a disease. 
and the epidemic began in June of 1981, and it continues till today. And AIDS is generally found in people ages 25 to 29. However, it garnered significant pro-LGBTQ plus activism as dealing with the consequences of bias, discrimination, homelessness, and etc., would lead to members of the LGBTQ community engaging in behavior that might lead to HIV or AIDS. And in fact, a 2014 survey of gay and bisexual women in the U.S. revealed that 15% had received poor treatment because of their orientation, and 30% weren't comfortable discussing their sexuality. So thus, for LGBTQ youth who are starting to become sexually active, homophobia makes it harder for them to know that they have AIDS or HIV and makes it more difficult for them to get quality treatment. And finally, knowing that members of the LGBTQ community are discriminated against, it makes it harder for them to open up about their sexuality and get quality treatment. And on top of that, I also know that it was became commonly known as a gay disease. They thought that only gay people were capable of garnering it. I'm not sure who started that rumor, but that led to a lot of discrimination back in the 80s. Yeah. Does anyone want to add on? Um, I want to add on if it also relates to the, the stereotype that people think that um, people in the LGBTQ plus community are like promiscuous or like more sexually active than other people and that also really created a lot of like negative or like fear among the community especially when seeking like medical treatment Another side example of how people 
empower, you know, abuse it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've definitely had a good discussion when it comes to um, looking back and seeing the history of how many uh, of all these things that the LGBTQ community has had to go through. Um, uh, so just in further remembrance, um, if we want to talk about, um, if anyone wants to talk about um, LGBTQ leaders that, that they've had in mind. Uh, that sort of just inspired them even to just come on this podcast or to talk about it. Um, the floor will be open to that. If no, uh, they want to talk about what they want to see as, uh, what they see as discrimination, what they want to see as a solution to this discrimination, uh, it would be open to talk about that. Um, so uh, I'll go first. Um, one of the uh, one of the people that, uh, two of the people that I look, uh, I look up to uh, that happen to be gay are James Baldwin, the writer and activist in the 1960s. Uh, the man um, has the most resilience I think I can think of that any person has ever had within history. Uh, the man was black during an apartheid time within the United States. He was gay within a religious community in the United States. Um, and he still spoke out. And I think that's a testament to just how brave the things, uh, things that he did were. Um, not to mention the fact that he's a fantastic writer. And another person of mine would be Alan Turing. Um, he was one of the foundational leaders in, um, finding, in findings for computer science and sort of developed that field. And he was a crucial scientist within World War II in, in making sure that the, uh, the Allies would be able to overcome the Axis. Uh, so if there's anyone that comes to mind for any of you all, or if there's uh, anything about activism that you would like to talk about, Maxine, I think it's on the hand there. Yeah, um, I'd like to mention there's someone like quite new into like, like um, public eye, Jesse May Lee, who is the lead in Shadow and Bones Netflix series. So, yeah, she's um, she is a Asian. Um, Caucasian and Asian British actress who is gender non-conforming and goes by she they pronouns so I think it's really cool that there's more like diversity and also for example I can see more like I can feel like more represented um, in Western media being both um, also Asian and part of the LGBTQ community so that's really cool um, I think um looking ahead at these um, figures that we aspire um, to and these people who've done like great things for the LGBTQ plus community, I think it's also um, a good segue into kind of looking at the future of activism um, and also ongoing and future actions being taken in national governments. I guess a good broad example um, is the historic LGBT resolution at the United Nations Human Rights Council. Um, adopted in September 2014, which was led by governments from the Global South, um, primarily Latin America, and backed by others from all over the world, including South Africa. And I think that it's um, obviously what comes to mind um, for most people is that countries in the Global North are leading these movements, but um, obviously it, it's, it's really a global effort. And I think that it's important to um, bring to people's attention that um, the future of LGBTQ plus activism um, lies in everybody's hands. I feel like 
everyone has to um, play a part, um, yeah, and um, address personal biases as well. Does anyone want to go into this? So public officials maintain that among multiple drivers of policies to support the fundamental rights of the LGBTQ community is the commitment to adopting EU legislation into national law. For example, teachers and headmasters who were interviewed note the importance of EU anti-discrimination legislation and legal provisions tackling hate crimes, as well as cooperation with LGBTQ-owned non-governmental organizations and the personnel commitment of educational professionals. And these are seen as key to protecting and promoting effectively the fundamental rights of LGBTQ persons in educational settings. Yeah, I think it's, um, of course, it's um, nice to look at actions taken by um, governments to combat discrimination um, of the LGBTQ plus um, community. But I think it's also um, a good idea to inform our listeners of allyship and what our audience um, can do um, personally to help with this issue. So Maxine, would you like to start? Okay, so things that you can do to help are, of course, to upload, um, uplift the marginalized communities and defend against discrimination, and also, like, educating yourself about the community, but it's also okay if you don't know, and, like, things, and it's okay to ask people, because usually some people think that um, we're, like, sensitive if you, like, ask for, like, pronouns or, like, what your sexuality is, but in fact, most of us really don't care. Like, you can just straight up ask us. It's not, it, it shouldn't be a taboo topic. I feel like there should be more, it's okay to be blunt. It's just, like, asking where you're from. It shouldn't be something that you have to, like, ask another person to confirm. So, yeah, that's something just to clear up. And to, of course, show support for queer people and to reassure them their, their love and be open-minded for conversations because there's a lot of like new terminology that changes like every year even we you know, like queer people sometimes I can't keep up with it so it's okay to, if you don't know and you can just research it it's very easy and of course to show up to pride and to your businesses and content and maybe if everything goes off maybe go to like pride parades yeah, I think that, like you said, the last thing we want is to add more taboo to um, having these um, discussions. And I feel that it's important to keep open communication with everyone that you know that's part of the LGBTQ plus community and not to be afraid to ask questions. Um, because really, by not allowing yourself to ask these questions, um, I feel that it adds more of a personal taboo, I guess, if these things aren't being addressed. So um, obviously open communication is really important. Um, does anyone else have any closing remarks? Yeah, um, I'd just like to add that I'm also guilty of this taboo. Um, I actually didn't sign up for this podcast, but I'm really glad that I was asked to be part of it because although I had no idea I was not very aware about this topic. I wasn't as knowledgeable as I would have liked. However, um, learning about it over the past few days and doing research has really given me a new, fresh perspective. 
and just talking to all of you guys has really been enlightening and informative and I'm definitely going to take this with me like I have learned a lot like I did a lot of research before this and I don't know I just feel like a new person you know we can you know we can do this we can accomplish anything yeah I think you put that really nicely and I really hope that anyone listening has um taken something away and um, feels confident to ask questions and has newfound motivation to advocate for what's right. So with that, I believe that a few of our members would like to shout out their current projects. Who wants to go first? Okay, so I recently started an org called Mindful Matters Philippines, and it aims to promote awareness on mental health issues and disabilities which is a cause very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, Rick, sorry. <laughs> so our Instagram is at mindfulmattersph, and we are currently looking for signups and volunteers, such as researchers, graphic designers, events coordinators, or literally anyone with any skill set. So if you're passionate about mental health and supporting your community, please sign up using the link in our Instagram bio, because we would love to have you. issues um and but i know that she wanted to advertise her um project called the atequia project which aims to create sustainable and meaningful relationships between international school students and children in the school's partnered organizations so if any of our listeners are interested in becoming a pen pal they can um, contact either diana or sarah at diana at the or 
sarahnorman at the ateclearproject.com if they're interested. Photography club, it's like just a hobby club, but it is something I am like super passionate about. And we have like a lot of things lined up for this year. So it'd be really great if you join. With that, I guess we'll close this episode. See you next time.